Welcome to Lazarus Theatre Company's new podcast, Spotlight On, where we turn the spotlight on to reveal the people behind the scenes, those who make Lazarus work, the creatives, the artists, the process, the creation. Hello, I'm Ricky Dukes, Artistic Director of Lazarus Theatre Company. And I'm Gavin Harrington-Odidra, producer of Lazarus Theatre Company. And this week we're talking to designer Saoirse Kukoran, hope I said that right, a long and trusted collaborator. Uh, Saoirse has worked nationally and internationally as a set costume and events designer. Her skills and experience cover many different areas, including opera, fringe theatre, musicals, installations and live events. Her first project with Lazarus Theatre Company was actually as an assistant designer to the wonderful Richard Evans on the production of The Merchant of Venice in 2013, which played at the Broccoli Jack Studio Theatre. And since then, Saoirse has gone on to design set, costume, or both, in fact, on seven productions, including, here's some highlights for you, The Caucasian Chalk Circle and our most recent production of Macbeth in early 2020. Thanks for joining us, Saoirse. Welcome to our first Spotlight On episode. Hello. <laughs> well, did I pronounce your surname properly after all these years? No, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was going so well. Have you never said my surname before? <laughs> so, no, actually. Um, give, it, give us it for us. It's Corcoran, but I like the way you put a spin on it. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> How, how terribly rude after all these years of me. But now I <laughs> use her name, uh, actually. But there we are. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, so we're going to dive straight in, really. And, um, well, first off, really ask you, how are you? Uh, when we last chatted um, for the Spotlight On feature that was uh, a written version of this podcast all the way back, probably about a year ago, um, you said uh, that you're a lost boy rather than a pirate. Is that still the case? Uh, yes, I can't remember why I picked Lost Boy last time, um, but I don't know, I think just the word lost is uh, speaks to me quite, <laughs> quite loudly at the moment, so I would still say Lost Boy, but also they look like they have a lot of fun in, in Neverland, Lost Boy is much more fun than the Pirates, so I definitely want to be on in their gang, so yeah. They don't seem to, I mean, unless you're Hook, the pirates don't tend to have much fun in Peter Pan, do they? Do. No. I suppose it depends on your definition of fun, I guess. I mean, you might be into that sort of thing, like subjugation and such like. But, <laughs> yeah, they don't seem to have a huge, great amount of fun, do they? Whereas the Lost Boys, and they're on stage quite a lot as well, so you could really yeah. go, couldn't you? And I really yeah. like their treehouse. In every depiction I've seen, all their light, all the Lost Boy dens is always, it's always quite an exciting space. So I think I'd want to be making that or being a part of that place <laughs> so yeah absolutely we like the lost boys i can't decide whether i'm a pirate or a lost boy uh i might just go with the crocodile i'll be the crocodile <laughs> some people might say i'm the wendy but we won't go into that um lockdown we don't want to get too depressive and and dwelling on it but how's it been how have you been keeping creative um particularly as we're now in the midst of the third lockdown how's it been the last 12 months how have you been keeping creative how have you been keeping inspired gosh okay well I think the start of the first lockdown I did everything that everybody else was doing where I you know baked and grew tomatoes and all that kind of stuff and then once the novelty wore off of that which was quite quick actually I think it was a couple of weeks of 
baking and tomato growing that I realized I wanted to get keep my creative juices flowing um so I've been practicing my model making I've been doing a lot of unrealized design products with various directors uh which has been sort of keeping me in the kind of the flow of design and theater so I keep doing my visual research keep doing my sketches um and uh also I've been doing um art classes online with uh with people which has been really nice because it's completely new for me uh, teaching art online so that's been quite a nice thing and also it gives me an excuse to do the art because I guess I like having a reason to to do things I can't just create art for no reason I think that's why I quite like set designers always <laughs> there needs to be a reason for for everything so yeah that's the sort of stuff I've been doing always a deadline isn't there that's the thing about set design uh, you know whether that deadline is a kind of brief or whether what's going to be ready for the first day of rehearsal or you know that imminent first preview <laughs> where we're running around madly <laughs> throwing it all together but yeah it's it's so fascinating talking to so many creatives over the you know the last few months um and people saying you know wanting that deadline or needing that deadline you know in a, in a way it forces you to be creative because you've got to come up with the goods come up with the ideas in a constraint whereas mm -hmm. actually left to your own devices is creativity a bit more difficult maybe you don't have the the pressure or the um impetus yeah, I guess it's it's difficult to uh, to finish it, to finish projects that you know are ultimately not, or at least not for a long time, going to be put on. It's difficult to like give that extra level of okay, it's going to work like this. Okay, that other layer of 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 work and design. Um, so you've really got to like force yourself to to do it that way. Um, but yeah, yeah. T tell us what you were up to then when when it all happened back in the day. Uh, and March 16th, 2020 will always be <laughs> a date that's etched on inside my head. Um, um, what uh, what were you up to at the time? Uh, gosh, where were you when COVID hit? Uh, yeah. um, I was, I think I had several productions on at the Vaults Festival, um, which probably should have been shut down a lot earlier than it, than it was, but everybody was sort of waiting on advice and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I had I had two productions on there, and one of them managed to get an audience and seen, and then the other one didn't didn't quite make it. So, yeah, and I remember having to do like a lot of really last minute returns, like quickly before everything shuts down. I have to return everything. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a weird day, very strange day, actually. Mm. Like I remember leaving in my house and being like, "Am I allowed to be doing this? I don't know, but I need to." Need to get this stuff done. <laughs> so yeah. gotta get these clothes back to Primark quick. <laughs> <laughs> I always I... work with small budgets. I need the money. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it, there was a sort of state of um, panic, wasn't there? It's funny, you know, though, how many people you talk to. Everybody seems to have had a show on. Even people who haven't worked for years seems to have had a show on that week. It's so peculiar how all of these shows appear. But yes, it just feels a kind of, of course, we were in a position where we just finished Macbeth. So we'd kind of put that to, to bed, as it were, or, or certainly back in the box. Because, uh, of course, we'd begun talking about uh, reviving it this year and bringing it back. So it's, it's all there. It's still in boxes somewhere in the Greenwich Theatre. <laughs> it's all in several boxes waiting to go. Um, and, of course, we were about to start uh, rehearsals for Hedda Garbler. And, of course, we'd also started initial work on our production of Peter Pan, hadn't we? So yeah. things had started to get, um, 
you know, we were getting ahead, really, thinking about the rest of that season. And, of course, Peter Pan was then meant to, to open, uh, was it the May time, the due time? June, June, July, yeah. Yeah, was meant to um, open uh, last year. So, again, some of that's still in a box somewhere. There's a lot of boxes <laughs> <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, we'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. Tell us a bit about what it's like being a designer then, because very often we sort of think about these roles backstage or, you know, the creative process. And, of course, when I use the word creative, I don't mean that actors are not creative. It's just quite a, a simple way of defining the actors and the creative team. But um, sometimes there's a bit of mystery, a bit of magic behind all of that. How does it all come together? So tell us about how you first became a designer. How did that all happen? Gosh, OK. So I became... A, well, I, I became a designer by studying theatre design at Rose Bruford uh, College. Um, I didn't know that's what I wanted to do at the time. Uh, I think I wanted to do, I wanted to do something, I knew I wanted to do something arty and I knew I wanted to make things. So I actually looked at a lot of fashion design courses and I went to a lot of like fashion design sort of open days at Bath Spa and Wimbledon and uh, places like that. And, when I when I went there, I, I realised quite quickly I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't going to fit in fashion. <laughs> like, um, so I, uh, I I I got recommended um, by a tutor that I went to because uh, I went to the arts uh, university in Bournemouth. I was doing a BTEC in art and design there, and a tutor looked at my work and said, "You look more like you're a costume designer." Um, so then I started looking at theatre courses and ended up at, at Rose Bruford. It was actually like my last choice. And then it became my first choice, like through this process. Like so, um, and then, yeah, I did, I did three years there. And I remember starting there and being like, oh, oh, have I made a massive mistake? And then I think about another month or so in, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> like, absolutely. Um, what was it, Sorsha, that sort of made you go, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Can you remember a specific moment or activity or class or was there anything specific that you went yeah this is this is what I want to do I got I remember just um I remember in our first year we'd have to do a lot of just model making and staying by ourselves in the studio which I really hated because everybody would be I could see them through the window like outside collaborating on uh, collaborating on projects and stuff um, and I remember getting really jealous. And then I think once I was allowed out and <laughs> allowed to collaborate with other people, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is so exciting. Like you could create, yeah, this is just, it's just, it's just fun. Like it's just a lot of fun. And it's, a, it's a lot of excitement when you're working with others and pulling something, all working together and pulling something together and yeah, making it completely like yours is, is, it's really exciting. So, yeah. And what would you say, um, inspires you what's the thing that you sort of you know whether you start a new process or a new project um and of course there might be two answers to this there might be a pre-covid inspiration and a post-covid inspiration is in i imagine uh doing your speculative designs and the stuff that you're doing with other directors at the moment that inspiration's coming from somewhere um mm -hmm. it, it, you know where where does your inspirations come from um my inspiration comes from looking at like a lot of other people's work like, in a non-plagiaristic way like uh, in more of a seeing what other people like uh, I look a lot at installation design uh, I look a lot at a lot at fine art I don't actually like fine art I don't go and look at it like in museums but I like looking at photos of it and like especially with the ones which are like 
objects like placed in 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 areas i find that quite interesting um looking at different objects the way they're made like uh i mean you know i'm very much into color and bright colors and like why is it that color why is it that shape kind of thing um i'm also really like a lot of like land artists like uh anthony goldsworthy and people like that who they make all these formations out of rocks and like leaves and stuff in the sand they're always quite poetic images um and i always like applying that kind of that kind of uh, art to the stage and seeing how I can amalgamate that into a show that also then has to function with set props and actors as well, but also getting that kind of, that feeling across as well as being like logistical <laughs> and practical. So, yeah. And you're very much, um, you know, you're always one of the designers that we've worked with uh, that really loves a good Pinterest board. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, which is, which is, you know, I think part, part, possibly part of the success of the relationship is the imagery-based yeah. work. So sharing lots of imagery. I certainly remember, I can't remember what show it was now, maybe Beggar's Opera, where I'd seen some bunting stuck in a tree outside Goldsmith's uh, University, and I just took a picture and WhatsApped it, going, this, this, you know, um, it, you know very visual, sort of taking images, yeah. and you know, very often you'll send pictures of something and think oh blimey what she said now and you have to sort of work out what the picture is but <laughs> guess what she's taking the picture of but it's brilliant because it's so um visual uh and, and visually charged so it, it kind of creates an emotion or creates a feeling doesn't it yeah. which is uh interesting um, how many pinterest boards do you have oh so many <laughs> so many i i make one um at least one a week um so I have to get really on top of like organization and stuff, but like, so I'll, I'll read a play or I'll read a story. I'll just start putting together some, some stuff for it. Cause I'm constantly on Pinterest for like other things like recipes and things like that. And so the uh, algorithm throws off like amazing things. I think that's the best thing about Pinterest. I promise you, I don't work for Pinterest. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sponsored by them or whatever. <laughs> I'd love to have shares of it, <laughs> but, um, yeah, the amalgam the uh, not the amalgam the uh, algorithm brings up stuff that you wouldn't normally find if you just put it into a Google search. So you, I could end up like down all kinds of different pathways and finding like loads of different stuff. And you can do that from home, which is which is great. But it's also great to go out and and see things and go to museums. Obviously, you can't do that at the moment, but uh, and see what people are doing. And also just seeing like when I could, I could go to I'd go to like sort of smaller fringe productions um like at the vaults festival and things like that because watching seeing what other people do with a small with a small space and a small budget is it's really like it's really inspiring and you, i'm always like watching a show like that taking that <laughs> using that for the next one so yeah yeah we do don't we we take inspiration from all around us i guess and that's something i've really noticed not being I don't know when it really hit, actually. It probably took a lot longer than it probably should have. But just the the act of going to see something, um, taking that time out. And I think that's not only just going to see theatre productions, but certainly at the end of lockdown one, when things started getting eased, um, I went to the the Tate, uh, which was a, a, a Tate Modern, which was a strange experience, of course, because you've got the mask on and you're keeping distance and all of those sorts of things, which, you know, is in a way feels a bit of a hindrance to the, the, the uh, process or the experience. But just going into big rooms with big work 
and you go it's the scale i go yeah i've really missed the scale where none of it's naturalistic none of it's domestic it's all big big ideas bold ideas and of course that's the thing with art isn't it it's totally subjective but you walk in and you feel like yeah these are not just works of art they're acts of art because they're doing something to you you know um i can't remember who the artist is but walking in and just these huge big red canvases not 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 rothko's but a big um big installation piece and you just felt yes this just gives you this huge sort of powerful experience um and i suppose that's it isn't it it's it's sort of missing those shared experiences all those inspirational experiences i should say um we're all nodding in agreement um moving on to question two um it all began with merchant of venice back in 2013 what do you remember of that time it's a long time ago <laughs> No, I, I remember that time really clearly. Uh, <laughs> um, Two thousand. I was still, I was still at, I was still at studying. I was still at Rosebrewford, and I did a placement with with Richard Evans, and I worked with him on two shows, which was which was your show, Merchant of Venice, and also uh, Susical with Cellador Theatre. Um, and I, I think it was the best, the best piece of work experience I could have done because uh, I feel like at Rose Bruford, they're very good, they're very thorough, they really what they teach you, but you kind of get a sense of you're going to leave Rose Bruford and design an opera and everything's going to be, you're going to have a budget and a production manager and like everything's going to be done and you just all you have to do is model make it and give it over to someone. And that is not the case at all. <laughs> like, I'm sure it is the case somewhere, but but far along the line. Um, so working, working with uh, Richard at that time really made me see that I needed skills like I need to be able to build, I need to be able to paint, I need to be able to sew, I need to be able to to make stuff. And like I kind of knew that I needed to do all those things a bit, but like seeing the scale of how much work he was doing, I was like, okay, cool. I need I need all of these skills right now. And yeah, it was it was a wake up call, but in a in a good way, like because then I got all those skills, and it was less of a wake up call when I actually did graduate. So yeah. Yeah, Richard was a bit of a, well, he still is a jack of all trades, really, isn't yeah. he? Very hands-on, and absolutely, it sounds like a fantastic uh, place to sort of earn your craft or learn your craft, I suppose, by assisting and having that support of somebody. And, of course, uh, Merchant of Venice, if people listening uh, had seen the production, we had a, a humongous table which had um, sort of little traps, little peepee holes in them, didn't they, that we could pull things out of. But it also neatly disguised a, a sort of um i guess it was a ray a, a big pond effectively wasn't it because it was all watertight inside and at the end of our production of um merchant of venice it rained and so we had to find a way of containing the water at the end so of course this big table actually became a kind of big pond <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course we had that wonderfully disastrous uh dress tech <laughs> and uh, for people who weren't there because of course it was a, a tech dress it was a cast and creative and whatnot but um we'd installed a rather innovative i like to think uh rain system which essentially was a pond pump wasn't it really going through uh, some tubing that had holes in it to, to rain on poor shylock at the end but um yes we had one uh tech dress where the pipe burst <laughs> and but the pump just kept pumping didn't it so all we could see and this was at the jack studio theater and all we could see was uh, water gushing from one side like <laughs> seen from titanic um unfortunately it wasn't going through the tubing it was meant to go through but it, it sort of there was a wave 
And, and, and people think I'm being dramatic when I say that, but there literally was a whole, I mean, the, you know, a wall of water rushed across the same What the hell's happened? Um, but of course, the lovely Adam Cunis, hello, Adam Cunis, if you're listening, who was operating uh, this device, um, that it operated on a float device, didn't it? So there was a float at the top of the pump. And if the float went below the level of the pump, it would turn off as a sort of safety uh, um, gauge, I suppose. But um, Adam was just holding it up and we just just let go of the, the float, Adam, just let go of the float. But of course, we'll always remember turning to the wonderful artistic director, Kate Bannister there at the at the Jag, just turning to her and <laughs> she took she I will always remember this. She turned to me and looked me eyes looked me in the eyes and said, "We won't be doing that tonight, will we?" <laughs> <laughs> and I think I regressed to a fight. No, Kate, no, we won't be do- we won't be doing that. But wasn't that brilliant to be in a wonderful supportive environment that then um, the Jack's team helped us work it out so it wouldn't blow again because <laughs> we didn't want that happening again um, and allowed us to try it again. You know, there would have been very many venues that have said, "That's it, you can't, you can't do that." But they were so supportive, and so it was a, it was a great experience. I mean, we laugh about it now. I don't think we were laughing at the time. <laughs> I think far, far from it. But um, yeah, and it was interesting there. So she was talking about um, what you learned from Richard about being a jack of all trades, really. So how have you? How do you think that might have moved into your own work as you've progressed? Well, I just uh, I think when I design. It's very difficult for me to design. Uh, I always design something that I know I could ultimately make myself, I think, so that I know what I can do is is possible so that I'm not sort of presenting anything that I can't make happen. <laughs> like, that's, that's I think. Um, and in, in a way, that that limits me, but at the, the, most of the time that makes me more creative because I'm like, okay, so I can't create this giant wall castle thing but i can create the feeling of it by adding in these these textures and these layers so it sort of it closes one door but it opens like six or seven others um and yeah as i said i just learned i just learned a lot of the skills when i could whilst i could whilst i was still studying i got a lot of those skills under my belt so that when i did graduate i could i could apply them and be confident in them as well because a lot of a lot of the time you have to sort of walk in and be like yeah i can do that yeah, I could absolutely do that. So, and once you know what you can do, then then you then you work better. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? How you pick up these tools or you pick up these techniques as you're going along. Um, you know, when when I talk to sort of directors who, oh, you know, how do you do this and how do you do that? And and of course, really, the answer is by doing it. Mm. Uh, just doing it. Go have a go. You yeah, know, absolutely. And, you know, you know, let, let's see how we do that. How do we do this sort of thing? Make a start is what I'd say. May always just just, just, just try something because even if it's the wrong thing, then at least you've ruled that out and you can go forward. So, yeah. But yeah, fantastic. So we're going to move on to your body of work, really, if as it were, um, in certainly uh, your Lazarus frame work, anyway. And so, so it's true uh, from my calculations. Maybe I've added this up wrong, but you've done seven 
productions with us over the over the time, whether that be set or costume, and sometimes both. Uh, you had to go both, and I, I was quite surprised actually when I was sort of researching for today's chat. Going, what what's made that happen? Why set on one and costume on another and both on one? You know, how, how does that work? But I suppose that's kind of evolving really. So, it took us three years after Merchants of Venice for you to be back in the in the crew, and you came back in complete style with Caucasian Chalk Circle. Tell us about that. That was a fun one, and that was a, a really good one as well because I just just graduated, just done a horrifically hard musical, um, and it was just it was just really good to do something very very different and and very very fun. Um, different in the sense of the design was more of a a collection of items and stuff, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so that was really good to sort of exercise sourcing skills and transportation and sort of more logistical things like that but also it's a good it was good fun to like pick out those objects find the brightly colored ones find I think we had an early design conversation where we were talking about plastics and like colors and you, Ikea bags and, and plastic crates and all that kind of stuff um what happened to that one I remember there was an issue in the jet wasn't there we couldn't get the you wanted to spit you wanted to spin the we had we had all those tiny chairs, I remember, the tiny little uh, <laughs> chairs that I found in a school nearby, which were bright orange, which looked really great. And and you wanted to spin them round in a circle on the theatre floor, which then gouged out the theatre floor. <laughs> and it was the first time, I, well, actually it wasn't the first time, but it was one of the first times there was a problem. And I was like, oh God, I don't know how to solve this. <laughs> I've got no idea how to solve this. I remember again- running to Flint. And again, this was the wonderful Jack Studio Theatre that's so (laughs) And we didn't want to rip up their floor that they just had laid. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They didn't just have it laid because we had water damage. It was a completely separate reason. (laughs) Yes, these these things are three years apart, listeners. (laughs) Nothing to do with me, Gov. But yes, and and you ran to Flint's. Yes, uh, to collect this uh, really, really expensive like floor lacquer because I was like, if I make the floor shiny, maybe this will, maybe this will work. Um, I remember panicking at some poor lad in in Flint's, just like, how do I make this problem go away? And he was like, oh, you could try this. <laughs> and then I think I was on my way back from from Flint's to the theatre, <laughs> and I saw, I think I saw a poster for Up. You know that Pixar bit film, and he's got those tennis balls on the bottom of his walker, and I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> that would work! That should work!" So we ended up putting these uh, tennis balls on the bottom of the chairs, which meant they spin around really quickly. And also, because you, Stu, I think lit that bit in completely blue light, they went day glow in that, so it was fantastic. <laughs> That was one of my proudest, my proudest light bulb moments. Was that? That was pure inspiration, wasn't it? You know, complete yeah. inspiration. And yes, yeah. it was Stuart Glover who uh, who, who lit uh, both productions, didn't he? Because Church Circle then went on and uh, transferred to the Greenwich Theatre, and we had to sort of scale it up. I certainly yeah. remember lots of bunting conversations. And, um, <laughs> I certainly remember vowing never to use bunting ever again. Uh, was it on that show or another show? Because we have used bunting since. <laughs> Um, you said, think, yeah, you said never again on Chalk Circle, and then it came out again at Tim's PT. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, 
and, and so there's, there's something there's something i think every show really there's an item where i go never again we're not doing this thing ever again and then occasionally it'll pop up somewhere else won't it but there was an <laughs> incredible amount of uh, bunting wasn't there for the particularly the asdaq section where we yeah. see the corruption uh, take place and you know the, the, this idea of um to, to to get true justice you have to be corrupt in a corrupt world uh and we went sort of a bit crazy with bunting didn't we big huge red bunting and then some weird beatboxy <laughs> rapping music <laughs> stuff which is brilliant um it, it, it worked didn't it so then chalk transferred and uh, we played at the greenwich we upscaled do you remember anything particular of that time other than me shouting about never using bunting again yeah <laughs> no the bunting we had a lot more bunting um that was giant as well i think we used bigger bigger scale bunting as well for that one um i i remember we we took off the the back tabs of the greenwich theater to see because behind them they kept all their ladders and their and their uh, a-frames the, what they hold up flats with and all that kind of sort of stuff which kind of added another layer to our, our pile of stuff in the middle which looked pretty cool and uh yeah, and then we uh, Stu put his, uh, I think his festoons in the middle, going up, which which was lovely as well. Um, but yeah, I think it was interesting seeing it in the in the Greenwich as opposed to the the Jack because there was something really really intimate about the Jack. It was really exciting that, but then seeing it on the stage was like it was like another level. You know, it was like you properly playing out, and I think it was always full audience that as well wasn't it they were always like raring to go so yeah it was a really cool experience watching it and seeing the difference between it between the two venues is really interesting as well and of course in the jack we were in the round and then moving to the greenwich it sort of end on sort of thrust um i kind of threw up a few uh, interesting issues but yeah. um yeah wonderful to see the same show then sort of scale up but realizing i you know i always look back at chalk as a as kind of a bit of a milestone really because um, up until that point, we'd been working in a very Brechtian ensemble way, but without really realising we'd been working in a Brechtian ensemble way. And it was that show that really kind of went, yeah, we do do this. This is what we do. And and then really sort of exploring into Brecht and his practices and and his theories and, and whatnot, it started to make us kind of go, yeah, this this is, is what we do. This really is the kind of work that we create. And it doesn't, of course, political theatre or theatre with some politics in it, uh, doesn't have to be placards and shouting. Um, although we did have a megaphone, but um, you know, uh, there's there's something um, inherently entertaining and theatrical about it, which I totally think is what Brett's doing. He totally wants you to have a good time, you know. And if that can change a few minds or or provoke a few questions, then great, let's let's do it. You know, something powerful about that. And then we moved on. Uh, I believe the next one was the back eye. Uh, and how did how did always the the girls Gavin say back eye? It was always that weird sort of scary thing. Eo 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 back eye. Yeah, which was almost like you'd entered a convent of, of yeah. well, maybe not a convent actually, probably the opposite of a convent. <laughs> More <laughs> like know. a cult, maybe. Yeah, mm. when you went to the theatre and you could hear them rehearsing, you go, "Oh my god, what's going on in there?" Yes, yeah, yeah. so, so you were set on chalk circle, of course, and then moved to costume um, on the back eye. What do you remember that time? Uh, I remember the 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 blue elephant space. Uh, which is a great space, actually. Like eight meters across. Sorry, it's a, a dream. Like coming from smaller venues, <laughs> it was fantastic. And uh, yeah, the that show. Gosh, that's so long ago. Um, I remember the uh, 
it was all very tribal. It was all very tribal. It was all very like not aggressive. No, it was aggressive. Sorry. No, it absolutely <laughs> was aggressive. They ripped, they ripped Pentheus's head off. They ripped Pentheus's head off. Yeah, it was very aggressive. And yeah, we had like lots of LED lights and billowing smoke and lots of like, obviously lots of the outlines of figures and uh, that bit at the end where they actually do tear his head off. Oh, um, the sound design, I remember being fantastic for that. But yeah, that was a really cool, really cool uh, production. It was all kind of like dancey. We had uh, costumes, we had everyone kind of in uh, muted tones as if they kind of stripped down to like that sort of underwear negligee type things and all of the counsellors and Pentheus being in like their sort of suits. So modern day kind of city worker type government type looking people um but yeah do you remember that smell oh gosh that, that um awful smell of the of the blood that we used soy sauce and maple syrup oh goodness gracious so as soon as that would come out of the box you'd smell it before you saw it yeah. what on earth is that the drains have gone again gosh what's that <laughs> it was horrific wasn't it that was you know audiences stomachs were turning i think because of the visuals of this severed head and blood all over the lovely sonia's face uh but um yeah blimey the smell was just visceral and it's interesting to talk about the space of the blue elephant because it's so brilliantly um the proportions are brilliant aren't they the stage is mm. way wider than the than the seating which just gives you a real sort of epic quality which is something one of the reasons i've always loved um, going back uh, to the blue elephant you go yeah it's, it, the stage is way bigger than the the actual seating which is so unusual for a theater yeah. um particularly a fringe theater but um yes the the bloody back eye <laughs> <laughs> what was the call again gavin eo 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 back eye you heard it here first <laughs> and then of course we moved on to we did a bit of tis pity uh up at the uh tristan bates theater uh, and of course we then went back to the uh, Jack for Beggar's Opera, which was a sort of, um, I guess in a way, was a push on Chalk Circle, really, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, you know, something that we tried and tested with Chalk and we we, we pushed along a bit with with Beggar's. Uh, and of course, then we had a little go at Marlowe and Edward, Edward II, which started the Tristan Bates. But again, we moved um, up to the Greenwich stage and again, had that same, a sort of similar experience in a way, wasn't it? About upscaling the work to that size of venue. Mm. What do you remember about those times or that particular time with Edward, maybe? Uh, stressing about the rain of blood is mainly what I remember from that. Um, yeah, Tell us about uh, rain of blood for people who didn't see it. Of course, uh, listeners can all go on out on the website and see production shots of all of this sort of thing, uh, Um But uh, yes, tell us about this this rain of blood, rain which we shout very loudly. Yeah. Uh, gosh. It was, um, so for the ending part, you staged this really European, really weird, I remember watching the uh, <laughs> the dress of the ending bit before they, when they put Edward on the table and they bring out the hot poker. And I was just, I remember being like, I can't, I can't, I can't watch. I can't look away, but I can't watch. Because <laughs> um, I think the way that you built, that we, the team built that up with the lighting and the sound and the costume, because we had everybody coming, stripping down into their underwear and putting on very strange masks for this horrific thing that is about to take to take place. Just really like, yeah, 
really built up the stakes like I've never seen before. It was fantastic. And then it obviously accumulated in this this rain of blood on top of on top of poor poor Luke <laughs> like, every night. But it, it was it was it looked fantastic. So yeah, the logistics of that was quite quite a tricky one. Um because yeah, I think you turned to me one day. Ricky was just like, Sasha, I want you to make it rain blood. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let's see what I can do. So we talked about what you'd done before with Much to Venice on the... Uh, um, <laughs> on with the ill-fated the... <laughs> flooding Merchant of Venice. The broccoli chap became yeah. Venice one night, yeah. And you and you told me that story, and that's why I was so stressed. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to flood the Tristan Bates in blood. <laughs> like, <laughs> um so yeah, we got the we used the pom pom like we did the last time. We got a bin, a tall bin which we filled with uh, with the red blood, and um, yes, we put the the pom pom in there which we typed up the float up to the side, um, which went then up into the grid through a hose which then come out of the grid in a shower head, um, which I think Charlotte would just switch on and it would go. And it went every single time. And every time I watched it, I was like, oh, my God, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. But every time it did, and I was like, yes, it was great. It really it adds a complete different level of intensity, doesn't it? When the creative team are all on the back row, they know what's meant to happen. And we're all willing it to happen, which is very <laughs> odd because, of course, the scene is where Edward II, King Edward II, has been deposed. And and he has a, a red-hot poker uh, inserted uh up his anus and that's how he dies that's how he's murdered which is terribly like you know incredibly violent incredibly gruesome but here we all are the creative team on the back row going come on come on we've got to make this work which was which was and i was always conscious because we did it in traverse the other side of the room could see you know about eight people on the back row come on <laughs> Come on, like some weird, you know, like we were, we were there for that moment, you know. But of course, we were just willing on that the blood. Uh, I mean, there's so many logistics and physics, isn't there, involved in how much the pump pump pops up. But if it's too powerful, it'll blow the end and all these sort of things. But yes, it was um, it was quite remarkable, wasn't it? And I think because of the Tristan Bates intimacy, yeah. uh, you really you could. I, I certainly remember watching performances where the it was quite cool. The water was quite cool. And because we've been in this intense Tristan Bates for sort of 90 minutes, it had got quite hot and muggy. And actually the water just pushing, you know, the blood pouring down would cool the air, which was extra then sort of chilling to what, what we were watching. Um, really brilliant. It's something that's so great in fringe venues, that visceral, you can change the temperature, mm. you know, and smells as well. I mean, it's just so incredible, isn't it, to be in and amongst that. And of course, always looking at the other side of the audience on the other side of the room being in traverse, sort of jaws hitting the floor. Oh my God, what have I just seen? You know, yeah. almost like we needed to offer a BBC helpline at the end. I don't you think know. anyone expected that to happen at the end, like, which well, was really great. Yeah. Some nights I didn't expect it to happen. <laughs> I was relieved it did. I remember um, watching it and it's, it looked like it would come, come it was coming out of one of the lights in the grid because it was like we'd hidden it quite well. So, yeah, it was just amazing. Really cool. And of course, then we moved that and upscaled that to to uh, the Greenwich Theatre, which was the first show in our residency, um, which we're in year three of. Well, sort of technically in year four, depending on where you count 
2020 and all of that sort of thing. Year four of the five-year plan, anyway. (laughs) We're not quite going to plan. But, uh, yes, so Edward was the first show. We started off bold and with a light, frivolous comedy. Edward the second. And and sort of set our mark. And that was was an interesting one as well, wasn't it? Creating that, how do you keep that intensity, but actually in a a stage that's got sort of 14, 15 metres width, you know, certainly the biggest stage we've ever played Mm. on. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember of that time? Anything particular that? Um... So it took it. We took it from this like because it was always the cube idea, isn't it? That that mm. they're they're stuck in this cube. It's almost like an experiment. It's like a game show. I, I think I remember saying "Welcome to the cube" a lot around that time. <laughs> so, um... Funny enough, I just had a flashback. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we had the uh, the fluorescent lights hung really low over the actors' heads so that it was proper proper pulled in which i think in the tristan bates we just had them on the grid and then in the in in the greenwich theater we actually lowered them down so that they sat below but you could still see like obviously the expanse of this giant space behind it so it was less of you're inside the cube with it it's more like the cube is the world because it's so vacuous you know i always think that the greenwich theater especially when you like light it in like a stark open white it just looks like there's wind even if there's like no movement, it just looks like there's wind like balling around in it. So that's that's one thing I always got a sense of, especially with that production, um, was that it was just it was just it was vast but small at the same time. Very, very cool, coolly done. Um and yeah, I think we had the we had the floor, we had the white floor for that. We made the the grid as well, because there's always a grid. And uh, did we add more plastic sheeting in that time or did we have it for both times? Uh, I think because it was a bigger stage, it was more, it looked like more plastic sheeting than it, what it was. So it was, and it kind of came out of nowhere because you'd had it rolled at the back and then, oh, it's before they, they put him on the table and the plastic sheeting comes out and you're like, oh God, no. <laughs> like, did you hear that it's un, 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 like crumpling from the back and you're like, God, no. <laughs> isn't that wonderful Uh, you know you sort of you've just sort of thrown me right back there actually Sorsh where you sort of sit there and those moments where you watch you know two three hundred people collectively go oh no because if you've got a character on stage uh, with um, rubber gloves a clown mask on and you can hear the unfurling of plastic there's only (laughs) one way this is going to go you know and that wonderful um, collective experience of people sat complicitly really in the action because not no one will because of our theater etiquette no one will stand up and go don't do it stop it you know mm. and you have and that's it it's it's that awful car crash we're watching the car go into the wall aren't we in slow motion and we know what's you know we know what's coming or if you don't know the story and you don't know how edward's uh, spoiler alert we should have said early shouldn't we if you didn't know how he meets his end um you you might not know the exact way it ended, but of course through that process you knew something bad was going to happen. That's where we were going, and of course Marlowe doesn't hold back. He sort of goes for the whole full throttle on that. But so as we did with the production. But um, yeah, and remember, do you remember those? I'm going a little bit off piste here now, but do you remember? When, <laughs> I think it was the second preview of Edward because the first preview went okay, but something wasn't quite right. And I always think you can. You can tell if it's landed with an audience because if the audience rushes out afterwards or or they leave fairly promptly, you sort of know something hasn't landed. But if people are sat in their seats for a bit longer and they take a bit longer to leave, it's had an impact. And I always remember with Edward at, at the Greenwich Theatre, the first preview, 
the auditorium sort of had emptied out within sort of two, three minutes. I thought, oh, bugger, they hate it. Oh, God, what are we going to do? And then the second preview, we did a bit of work, didn't we? We did a bit of t- sort of tightening up. And the second preview, people were sat a good 20, 25 minutes in the auditorium where the front of house were coming up to us going, God, we've got to get rid of folk. And I said, just leave them. I want to see what they what they do. Just leave them for a moment. And people sort of a bit shell-shocked and affected. So, you know, uh, it had it had an effect, whatever that effect was. Mm. And then I always remember that um, young uh, gay couple going to the front of the stage, which, of course, at this point, at the end of the play, all the blood had dripped all across the whole thing. I mean, it was Titus Andronicus times 10, right? Uh, but this, this young gay couple sort of um, just taking selfies of themselves, but with the battered and bruised and bloodied set behind them. I thought, God, this is so interesting that we've just watched this play and, and you, if the feeling is 100% emotion, not not bleak, but kind of wow! What have I just experienced? And then, brilliantly, these two young these two young lads sort of went to the front and just started taking selfies and panting <laughs> into this camera with the carnage behind them. I just thought, God, that says so much about our world, doesn't it? This is how I've experienced it. But yeah, it was it was um, yeah, really interesting, really interesting to see how something grows and and how people receive it, you know. And then. We, of course, we did Macbeth. We did that in 2020. And you did, you were doing costumes on Macbeth, weren't you? Um, again, more blood. Yeah. Um, always like a bit of blood. I like to think over the years we've refined, refined the uh, blood mixtures, though, haven't we? <laughs> we? We've moved on. We've moved on from <laughs> no soy sauce and <laughs> Thank the Lord. Um, oh. and, and, of course, yeah, well, tell us tell us about your, your rememberings of um, Macbeth. Ah, oh, Macbeth. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, um, well, you had Macbeth, you had everybody in suits. You showed me this, this image of, um, a lot of, a lot of men standing in a line or wearing the same suit or like similar sort of colored suits. Um, so we grabbed a load of them and we fit them all on, on the guys. And yeah, you, I think as you introduced a lot of that sort of staging elsewhere in the production, didn't you? The line of, the line of men because there was the yeah. coronations um, and then there was also when they're traveling around, like when they come to see Mr. and Mrs. Macbeth and they come out in a line from vom, vom, from one of the voms. Um, and yeah, so I think I liked what we did with the layering for that because it wasn't just the suit. It was, I remember you saying you wanted to, them to sort of deteriorate throughout the play. And so we were looking at sort of like the construction of it. So we would think, okay, suit, trousers and shirt, tie off, everyone wore vests underneath, so vests, and then people shirtless and just trousers. Um, And we would look, we dirtied them up, I think, halfway through. Everyone had like another set of trousers so that they get grubbier and dirtier and bloodier, and they did (laughs) um, throughout, throughout the play. And isn't it wonderful um, when a company totally uh, open arms goes for that? You know, we oh, arrive yeah. in the dressing rooms with trays of snazaroo, uh, you know, body paints, and go, okay, and then at this point of the show, you use this and we add this and we add this. And isn't it wonderful then when you have a dress rehearsal and you have to ask actors to tone it down a bit? I always love that rather than come on, get more on it. It was such a wonderful company that just really quite literally dug their hands in. I think we went through the most oh. stats we've ever gone through. You just yeah. reminded me of, of Lewis. <laughs> 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 
the um the your that poor guy we covered him in <laughs> what was it angel delight and food coloring so he was playing he's playing banquo's banquo's ghost and uh Vicky wants him to look like he's just been peeled or something <laughs> like he's all bloody or he's just been completely flayed so you had this recipe that you used on the sh on I think Lord of the Flies that you said it was the Angel Delight and food powder coloring and poor poor guy we got him absolutely covered in this sugary <laughs> um, very young mixture guess. yeah you could was... smell him you could smell him coming up the stairs you're like oh it smells sweet in here <laughs> the bloody oh, ghost of yeah, what a sport though, eh? What a sport. He was totally happy. Yeah. And it was literally head to toe in this stuff, wasn't it? You know, Absolutely. literally head to toe. Again, there are pictures so on the cool, website. Though. It uh, looks absolutely terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing, isn't it? Maybe this is revealing more about me than I'd like. But isn't it wonderful to be in a theatre with two, three hundred people screaming? I mean, you know, it's, that's when Shakespeare feels alive, when this, this guy appears on, on this big sort of abyss of a stage and uh, nowhere to hide. It's all open, very Brechtian. And where where's he come from? And, and of course, no wonder Macbeth's terrified. But, you know, I, I, that's one of the moments I always sort of would pop my head in um, to hear the audience reaction of and, and real, real, real screams, you know. Um, and I, I always thought, oh, maybe why don't, you know, maybe we could get them to scream a bit more. <laughs> how do we do that you know but we've got this 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 dead body on this way well, you know this body covered in blood look, look, yes the idea was that sort of jeepers creepers monster type thing that his skin had been pulled off mm. so you could sort of see muscles and fat and you know and essentially it was all bits that you know, because it was angel to like bits would fall off which were <laughs> incredibly disgusting but um incredibly visceral and then of course we, we started work on Pan, hadn't we? And we and which you were doing the set for. So you'd sort of flip-flopped, you know, <laughs> between the set and the costume. So we'd yeah. gone Pan and, and, and the set. And and um, it's very something very much that that uh, I'm planning to come back to. Mm -hmm. uh, quite difficult COVID-wise because it, it does really require quite a big company, really, uh, and not much socially distancing. But um, do you want to give us a little teaser, a little tidbit of the ideas or where we were where we'd sort of begun with that and um, how we were thinking of playing. Yeah, so I think with, with Pan, we wanted to create this like magical, beautiful, colorful kind of landscape that kind of came out of out of nowhere. And we could, uh, we were talking about different sections in different colors, I believe. We were talking about, for instance, like the Blue Lagoon, we were gonna have this giant piece of tarp like coming down somehow. We have to get to figure that out <laughs> from, mm -hmm. from the sky. And like completely covering the whole the whole stage, and that's quite big because that's like was it eleven meters to the grid, and it's was it like eight eight to the grid and then eleven across, and then that kind of like disappears down the trap door for the next scene, and then the lost boy was all going to be the green bunting, <laughs> making its comeback yes. <laughs> into it. Never working with bunting again. Oh, you just remind me, of course, with Macbeth because. I was sort of obsessed with at the time or very intrigued by the play being about leadership, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and being about what do we think leadership is? And, and of course, the play is sort of exploring ambition and power and masculinity and all those things. So very early on with Beth, um, I'd come up with this idea that we would see each king uh, and their coronation. So the play started with the coronation of Duncan and then midway is Macbeth and at the end the play ends with Malcolm. But of course, it involved a certain coronation gown didn't it oh, yeah. 
<laughs> which um, I think <laughs> probably the hardest thing to stage in the whole blooming play. The idea that we've got an actor covered in blood as Banquo was relatively straightforward comparatively to just put the gown on the bugger. But um, yeah, the coronations were interesting. And again, pictures on the website. Obviously, not no footage of me in rehearsals ripping my hair out. <laughs> that, that, that is the funniest meltdown I think I've seen. <laughs> I've seen a few over the years. <laughs> I am never staging this again. (laughs) I'm never coronating anyone ever again. Yeah, yeah, sorry, back to to, to Pan. But yes, of course, thinking about bunting to represent the trees and things, weren't we? Yes, yeah. And yeah, obviously, you know, I like working with block colours and all all of those kind of elements. So I was quite excited to see how we can make this this kind of world all kind of quite like really, really bold, really bright and seamless. And like, uh, I'm... It's really excited for this one. Like, uh, working with the lighting design on how to like really enhance those colours and to make all of that choreography because it would be really choreography heavy, um, all blend into each other. I can imagine it being really, really, really beautiful. I think we talked about once. I know this wasn't one of our bigger ideas, but we talked about like jellyfishes at one point. Like, like I was thinking maybe they could be made out of like plastic or plastic bags or something just floating along. Um, but yeah, I was yeah. It's going to be a good one when we do do it, and we will do it. So it's going to be beautiful. Absolutely, yeah. A Brechtian, colourful version of Peter Pan. Yeah. <laughs> what more could we ask for? Um, great. Um, really annoyingly, we're nearly running out of time. But um, there is one final part of the spotlight on uh, podcast where um, we it gets incredibly theatrically stressful. Um, I did a rehearsal of this earlier and. Um, Blimey, I don't think I've been this nervous since the first preview, which is an experience I haven't experienced <laughs> quite a long time, unfortunately. Uh, but over to Gavin for the 60-second challenge. Yes, hello. Um, okay, so here goes. The rules are simple, Sorsha. Uh, I'm going to ask you some quick-fire questions. Okay. Uh, you can answer them, uh, if you can answer them as fast as you can, and see, we'll see how many you can answer in 60 seconds. Um, yeah. you, can, you can pass if you want to. But uh, those questions won't add to your final score. Okay. Uh, I didn't know you could pass. So when we did the rehearsal earlier, I didn't know I could pass. <laughs> okay, right. Sorsha can pass. You weren't allowed to. <laughs> uh, so Ricky, Ricky is on standby. I've got this uh, lovely uh, clock here that's going to count down from uh, 60 seconds. Nice. Uh, Ricky's got uh, the air horn from Chalk Circle. Uh, first scene in Chalk Circle. Um, so he's going to tell us when we're at 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll add, add up your score and we'll add you to the leaderboard. Okay, Sorsha, are you ready? I'm ready. Ricky, are you ready with the air horn? Uh, stand by, listeners, with your ears. <laughs> Hopefully that didn't uh, <laughs> burst anyone's eardrums. I'm going to suggest that Ricky's ready. Okay, <laughs> so here we go. Uh, counting down from 60 seconds. Sorsha, tea or coffee? Uh, tea. Cats or dogs? Cats. Uh, what's your most used emoji? Uh, the laughing, crying face. Uh, what job would you be terrible at? Um, dealing with uh, slugs or snakes. Uh, horror, <laughs> horror or romance? Uh, neither. Can I say that? Yep. Movies or theatre? Uh, Theatre. What uh, was the first career you dreamed of having as a kid? I wanted to be in the Royal Marines. 
Uh, what's your favourite word? Ostentatious. Oh, uh, if you were given the chance to explore the ocean, to go to outer space, or to visit fifty different countries, which one would you choose? Oh, uh, I would do the ocean. Uh, what's your party trick? My party trick: uh, I can make a old-fashioned in a minute. Uh, <laughs> I'm up. Uh, that's it. That's us. Um, Sorsha, how many questions do you think you answered? Uh, six, seven. No, you got more than that. You got ten. You ten. got ten, nice. ten whole questions answered. Congratulations, well done. Yay. So uh, let me have a look at the uh, leaderboard here. Um, okay, that puts you at the top of the leaderboard, Sorsha. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> well done. You're the top, Sorsha, because you're the first person. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> let me have my moment. <laughs> you can have a whole week of moments. Well done. Well, well done. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much, Sorsha, for joining us uh, today. It's been great to talk. Um, and, and thanks for sharing so much of your process and what you've been up to and how you're doing. Um, and uh, yes, we will, won't we? We will be back with Peter Pan. We might be back with something else before Peter. We might have to go via other ones before we get to Peter, but um, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we will be back. We will get there, we'll get there. Um, thank you to everyone who's been tuning in. We'll be back next week with another Spotlight On podcast. Uh, until then, uh, find out how you can get creative and get involved with our year of exploration. That's our COVID recovery project by checking out our Facebook page, our Twitter profile at Lazarus Theatre. And there's bits and bobs on our Instagram, again, at Lazarus Theatre. And all the details can be found on our website, which is www.lazarustheatre.com. Uh, that's it. That's our first podcast. Uh, I've been Ricky Dukes. And I've been Gavin harrington Odedra. And until next time, stay safe and stay well. You have been listening to the Spotlight On podcast hosted by Ricky Dukes and Gavin Harrington Odedra, produced by Lazarus Theatre Company. The music you've been listening to is composed by Bobby Locke and is from our 2016-2017 production of the Caucasian Chalk Circle by Bertile Brecht. 